Let us hear the word of God, reading from Matthew 6, 1 to 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what your need before you ask, before you ask him. Amen. Father, we seek to hear from you. Teach us now. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to start by uh, saying um, this is uh, Josh's message. Uh, he's worked hard. He's written this out. Um, and so I'm going to say if there's anything wrong with the message this morning. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going to say that. You see, uh, uh, I, I might skip something or I might leave something out. If there's anything wrong this morning, that's my fault, okay? But if there's anything good here... That's Josh. That's really Josh. And I think we should be thankful for Josh. Um, <laughs> hey, look, um, praise. Praise is a fickle thing, isn't it? Um, uh, just ask J.K. Rowling. Uh, she wrote the Harry Potter series, a hugely popular series of books that got turned into a hugely profitable set of movies. Uh, she has an Order of the British Empire. She's led and given to charities. Uh, in many circles, she's a household name. Her books still sell like crazy. She's been praised by celebrities, media and culture at large. But praise is a fickle thing. In 2019, she posted something on the internet about her views on gender. But her views are now considered unacceptable. And the backlash was fierce. Many have tried to cancel her, 
celebrities have distanced themselves from her, and the media just seems to like to beat her up every chance they get. They've gone from loving her, from praising her, to tearing her down, to hating her. Praise is a fickle thing. And yet we still chase after it, don't we? We know it's fickle, and yet we still want it. We crave that little thrill of praise. Praise isn't entirely a bad thing. But when it drives us, the words we say, what we hear, how we live, when we do good in front of people just because we want to be noticed and praised, and this isn't new. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. When it's done, it's not right, is it? Over the past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has come proclaiming the good news that in him, God's promised kingdom of heaven has finally come. He's the gentle king. The one that God's people were looking for. In response, he's been called, he's been calling people to repent, to turn away from their sin and to follow him. And now, and now he sits his followers down on a mountain and he teaches them about what that really means, about what it's like to live as his people in his kingdom. And he's been calling them to a radical heart obedience to God. An obedience that flows from dependence on God. Being poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting, thirsting for righteousness. Now, having a character that reflects Jesus, the gentle king. This is an obedience that doesn't do away with the commands of the Old Testament. It obeys them from the heart, remembering that they've been fulfilled, brought to their completion in Jesus. And now here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus turns to the heart motivations behind this kind of righteousness. He calls us to radical heart obedience that's not motivated by praise of men, but by the reward of our Heavenly Father. This change in motivation shapes all we do. It's a change in motive that frees us from slavery to the fickle master of praise. It actually frees us to live for our Heavenly Father. Jesus gives us three examples of this kind of life in the religious life of God's people. The three examples are rewarding giving, rewarding prayer, and rewarding fasting. But Jesus starts... First of all, with a principle, he starts by giving us the secret of a rewarding, righteous life. 
Uh, back in chapter 5, Jesus called his people to a radical heart righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious superstars, as it were, of Jesus' day. But, but Jesus warns us, and, and look at the word beware here. Beware, be on your guard. This should cause us to sit up, pay attention, hear the warning that Jesus offers. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Pick it up at verse 1. Make certain you're following along in your Bibles. <coughs> Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In Jesus, he's targeting our motives. Just like in chapter 5, he's zoning in on our hearts. We must be careful not to do right things, even good things, to be seen and praised by people. Well, hang on a minute. You might say, I thought we were supposed to be like cities on a hill, weren't we? Shining our light before others. Aren't we meant to do our good works before others? It's a good point, isn't it? Jesus did say that, didn't he? Back in chapter 5, it was verse 16. Or if you like, flick back, have a look. Verse 16, Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not saying don't ever do good things if other people will see them here in Matthew 6. Jesus is dealing with our motives. Letting our light shine is about people giving glory to our Father in heaven. What Jesus warns about in chapter 6 is doing good before other men so that they will praise us. Do you, do you see the difference? How is it other people are going to see our good works and give glory to God? I'm going to say that actually requires words. You do good deeds. And then you actually need to speak up something about God. Or else they will just praise you. The consequences are serious. Look at this. Practicing our righteousness to be seen will mean no reward from our Heavenly Father. Jesus is talking about eternal rewards for those who follow him. If you really think about it, Jesus has already told us what those rewards are. They were the blessings, weren't they, in the Beatitude? Again, just, just flip back to those blessings. Look, look at them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What's their reward? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They all will be comforted. That's a good reward to have, isn't it? Blessed are the meek. This is a big reward. They shall inherit the earth. 
These are the sorts of rewards that he's talking about. Rewards aren't like wages that we earn for ourselves, for the good stuff we do. That, that wouldn't fit with the gospel. We're given salvation as a gift because of what Jesus has done at the cross, not what we've done. It wouldn't fit the idea that all our good works are actually, well, they're prepared for us by God. They're not really ours anyhow, you know. He's given us what we need to do them. And once all is said and done, we're simply unworthy servants who've done our duty. And these rewards Jesus is talking about are entirely a gift of grace. It's God's kindness to us as his people. And yet, and yet God gives these rewards differently to his people depending on how we live. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3. Some do what is right, labouring hard to proclaim and live the gospel faithfully. They'll be rewarded. Others aren't so faithful. They're saved even though they don't get one of those special rewards. And Jesus warns us that if we do what is right only to be seen by others, we won't receive this reward from our Father in heaven. And that's a good reason, isn't it? To listen closely to what Jesus has to say here. To examine our own hearts. To see whether we're living for the glory of God or are we living for the praise of men? Jesus brings this home with three examples. Three examples that come from, well, the personal religious life of his people. In Jesus' day, there was no Centrelink or government support for the needy. Instead, everyone gave to the temple or the local synagogue. And these funds were used to care for the poor and needy. That was the expectation. Part of the normal living is God's people, that they would give for the needy. But Jesus warns against giving in order to be praised by people. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others truly I say to you they have received their reward when it comes to giving uh, some people they're like actors on a stage you know that's what the word hypocrite means it's an actor who wears a mask on stage to portray a character that really he's not and they're like this with their giving, says Jesus. They look generous on the outside, but they're only looking for praise. In their hearts, they're selfish and greedy. I mean, imagine this morning if the offering bag was handed around and, and somebody stood up and pulled out their wallet and, and started counting out the $50 notes. Oh, sorry, $100 notes slowly, you know. 
One, two, three, four. Making a big show of it. I mean, how generous are they? Five, six, four. They've already received their reward. The praise of men, even though praise is a fickle thing. Here now, gone later, they can expect nothing from their heavenly father, though. But giving is meant to be different for people of Jesus' kingdom. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, oh, he knows everything. Look at this. He sees in secret. He'll reward you. Don't give to be seen. Our giving must be so quiet, so private. It's like one part of us doesn't know what the other part is doing. Just a quick re reaction, you know. Hand to wallet, wallet into the offering plate, wallet back in back pocket and go, oh, how much did I put in? The picture that Jesus is giving to us is what righteous giving will look like. It won't be putting it on um, billboards or proclaiming our giving from rooftops. Private. Secret, quiet. And we can do that, can't we? Because our Father sees in secret and he knows all and he will reward us on the day of judgment. Not the fleeting, fickle praise of men, but the permanent, eternal, unshakable reward from our Heavenly Father. So how about you? I mean, do you give to be seen by others? Do you give in secret? Do you give only when you can get a tax deduction? When people will know about what you've done? And Josh says he, he had a friend at Bible college. He'd sat down with, uh, you know, the, the mail there and the top letter was a bill that they didn't plan for, a, a bill that they couldn't afford. They were stressed. What were they going to do? And then the, the next letter they opened, it, it had the exact right amount of money given to them by someone else. They never found out who. Uh, this money came anonymously. But it was God's provision for them just at the right time. That's giving in secret. That person got no praise, no receipt, no recognition, but God got the glory. Let's give like that. Let's give generously. Let's give secretly. But why not take the chance this week to give somewhere where there'll be no recognition? where no one will even see, take the opportunity to be generous to those in need. Second example, 
rewarding prayer. Verses 5 through to 15. Look at verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Oh, hypocrites again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The hypocrites love to be invited to pray up front, to pray out loud on the main streets. They've already received their reward. It should be different for Jesus' people. Verse 6, but when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a simple antidote. Pray in private. Go inside. Go into the locked room in the middle of, middle of the house. Maybe even the cupboard. Pray in secret. It can't be for the praise of others if no one sees you doing it. Now think about this. I don't think Jesus is giving us a legalistic rule here. He's not saying that we must never pray in public. After all, Jesus often prayed in front of his disciples. They will pray together after Jesus' resurrection. James even tells us that the sick are to call the elders to pray for them. It's expected that God's people will pray together. But we must not only pray in public. If we only pray in public and never in private, it shows that we're only praying for praise to be seen by others. This is actually a good test for our own hearts, you know. Do you pray alone more than you pray in public? Would you love to be asked to pray up front in church, but you never take time to pray in your own house? Are you fine to pray out loud in growth group, but you just can't pray by yourself? Another way we might live for praise is by telling people we're praying for them, but we never actually really do. We're really just saying something nice, but we don't mean it. Uh, look, just, just think again. Think hard about some of this. The easiest way to remember is simply to stop and pray for them straight away. Maybe ask if you can pray for them right then and there. I mean, why not do it at morning tea, actually? Talking to somebody, they say something, say, let me pray for you. Pray then. You don't have to do it with the biggest voice so everybody can hear you. And yes, it is public. And yet it's just a simple, quiet prayer. Huge encouragement to them. The right thing to do and then move on. Uh, Jesus' words here, I'm going to say, are especially challenging for those who are leaders who often pray up front. You know, we're... We're praying in front of all sorts of people. We're seen all the time. 
We've received our reward. And if that's you, then as a leader, you need to spend more time in prayer in secret at home. Go somewhere private, shut the door, pray. It doesn't have to be fancy or complicated. It can be simple, in fact. In fact, that's what Jesus really does here. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, you don't have to do up a prayer wheel and spin it around a million times. It's not how it works. Our prayers don't have to be fancy or use religious sounding words. They don't need to be long or eloquent. Jesus says the Gentiles think that they need to convince their God with fancy words. They think that their gods will hear them because they talk a lot. We don't have to pray like that because we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows our needs. Our friends saw this that money was already in the mail before they received the bill, before they even prayed about it. God knew their needs before they even asked. We don't need to persuade God. We don't need to earn his provision by fancy prayers. We aren't telling him anything he doesn't already know. We can pray with confidence because he already knows what we need. Have you ever been unsure about how to pray? Have you ever felt like you didn't have the words? Like you can't get them out? Our Father, our loving Heavenly Father, He knows what we need. He invites us to come to Him as His kids and simply ask. Uh, Josh says here, you know, when my kids come and ask for a glass of water, I do want them to say please. But they don't need to come with a 30-minute speech about the benefits of proper hydration. They don't need to use old, link, old English like, Oh, Father of mine, I beseech thee. Switch on thy tap. Provide me with the benefits of thy hydration. They don't need to do that. And neither do we. Neither do we. Josh says, I just want them to come and ask and I'll give them. I love them, don't I? I'll give them a glass of water. Not hard. Jesus gives us an example of this type of prayer, a simple prayer. If you've been round churches for a while, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. 
Sometimes we pray it here at our church. Sometimes we don't. Jesus isn't giving his disciples words that they must pray. This is not the only prayer. He says pray like this here. Not pray these words. He's giving a model here in Matthew, not a script. And this model is significant because it's simple. It's so short. It's a prayer for God's glory and kingdom and his provision in our, for our daily needs. And it's over. You, you might want to time yourself one day, just for the fun of it. If it takes you more than five minutes, you've said it wrong. And look, we could turn Jesus' model prayer into exactly what he's warning against. We could be proud that we know the Lord's prayer off by heart and we could show others how righteous we are. It's a magic formula, let me say. thinking that somehow God will hear us because we're saying these words. And Jesus is giving us an example of a simple prayer, trusting in God, a focused prayer. We could easily spend whole sermons on the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to zip through it in a couple of minutes. First, this prayer speaks to God as our Heavenly Father. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was unusual for Jesus' day. It was really quite radical and shocking. I mean, in the Old Testament, God was talked about as the Father of Israel. But no one addressed him as father. The name of God was so holy, it was not even said often in case they mispronounced it, stumbled over it. Oh. And yet, in Jesus, we can come to God as our father. Confident that he loves us and will give us what we need. And yes, this prayer doesn't start with our needs. It actually starts with God. His name would be hallowed, treated as holy. Uh, this is a prayer that many people would turn to God and worship him as the Holy One. That his kingdom would come and his will be done. He already reigns in heaven where all is perfect. And we want that too here on earth, don't we? Uh, we could think of this in three ways. You know, firstly, we want God to reign in our lives. You know, if we want his kingdom to come, we really want it to come in us too, don't we? To more and more live with that radical heart obedience that honours him. We should only pray this if we mean for God to work in our hearts. 
that, that we want this to happen in the lives of more and more people. We're, we're praying for more and more people to hear the good news of the kingdom, repent and come under his rule. And, and third, we want this to happen in full when Jesus returns. When he comes back to judge the living and the dead, to set all things right, this is a prayer for Jesus to establish his kingdom in full forever. This prayer asks God to work to bring about his kingdom in glory. And do our prayers start there? Or are we so focused on our needs we forget our greatest need to actually be part of the kingdom of God? To actually praise God and glorify him? That doesn't mean we can't pray for our needs. Uh, That's where the prayer turns to next. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's simple, isn't it? We don't need to tell God everything we need. This prayer simply asks God to provide for our needs each day. And it doesn't stop with our physical needs. We need forgiveness. We've all sinned against God. Things that we've done things that we've left undone, our thoughts, our hearts. We need God to forgive us. And as we forgive others, because that's what it says we should be doing. That's a real challenge, isn't it? Jesus reiterates it in verses 14 and 15. If we forgive others, our heavenly Father will also forgive us. If we don't, neither will he forgive us. This doesn't mean that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. We are forgiven because of Jesus' death and resurrection, not by what we do. But he's saying, look, that those who trust in Jesus will have such an understanding of their sin and God's forgiveness that they will freely forgive others too. Those who have been forgiven much will be willing to forgive others, will be willing to muchly forgive others. Are you harboring unforgiveness in your heart? Do you refuse to let go of your anger at someone and forgive them? You can't continue in that unforgiveness. Ask that God would work in your heart and help you to forgive. Ask that he would help you to see the greatness of his forgiveness to you and that you would trust justice and entrust him with the justice that you need. Ask as God's people keep coming to him for forgiveness and help. Finally, this prayer recognises that we need God's protection to live for him. We ask that God would lead us 
not into temptation. The idea isn't that God tempts us. James 1 says God is not tempted, nor does he tempt his people. We are tempted by our own sinful desires. This prayer is asking that God would preserve and protect us from temptation and evil. We recognise that we can't do it on our own. We are poor in spirit. We need God's protection. And that's it. That's the prayer. Simple. Not meant to be flowery or showy. It's not a formula. It's a simple prayer that comes to God for help and leaves the details with him. And that's how we can pray. We don't need to pray these words day by day, exactly word for word. We can let our prayers be shaped by this prayer but also let our prayers be shaped by a desire for God and to see his hand at work in our lives. Let's pray like this prayer, simply, secretly, even quickly. This is truly the prayer that is rewarded. Jesus is one more example for us, a quick one. Jesus tells us about rewarding fasting. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. No, my messy hair is not meaning I'm fasting. It's just how it always is. Anyway, uh, that's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees, they would fast twice a week. Around the Day of Atonement, all of Israel would fast. They went without food for a time as a way of recognising their dependence on God and come to him in prayer. At least that was what it was supposed to be about. But the hypocrites... They're making it about themselves rather than God. They make themselves look hungry so that others will praise them. They've already received their reward. But it's different in Jesus' kingdom. Notice that Jesus expects that fasting will be still part of the life of his people. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Jesus says his people should anoint their head and wash their face. Uh, ordinary hygiene. Keep up your hygiene practices. Even brush your teeth. What people of Jesus' day would do every day, he's telling them to do, even when they're fasting. The, the fasting's to be in secret. They're not to be motivated by the praise of men, but motivated by the reward of their Father. For us, fasting is, well, 
I don't think there's many Christians who actually fast. But people expect his people to do that, and it is for our good. Why don't you try fasting? Uh, but do it carefully. You know, don't be unwise with your health. But if you're able, consider missing a meal. Spend some extra time in prayer. Or maybe you could fast from watching TV. And don't binge on your latest Netflix thing this week. Take that time and spend it in prayer. It, it's not just about missing out on something. It's about using that time for God. To recognise our dependence on him. To praise him for his provision of food, even though I'm not eating it. Because he has provided it. That is the God he is. But as you do all of these things, look in your own heart. It's a time to do that. Do it secretly. Keep it between you and God. Don't do it to be praised by men. Jesus. He's given us three examples here. But there are other things we might do for the praise of others. Maybe the way in which we serve in church. You know, if you get upset that people don't recognise what you've done in church and don't thank you. Do it anyway, not to be seen. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for your Father in heaven who he sees and he will reward you. Do something costly. Show up at the working bee. Put aside your sports. Just for one morning. Clean the toilets in the church instead. I'm certain you could think of something, couldn't you? You don't need me to tell you. That's the way that you're truly rewarded by your Father who is in heaven. Not fickle, not fleeting praise but the eternal worthy reward of our Heavenly Father. Let's live for the praise of our Father. And when we fall short of doing that, let's cry out for his forgiveness and his help. Let me pray right now. Father, uh, thank you. Uh, we do thank you that you see everything. Because then we know that you see the good things that we do. And thank you, Father, for your reward. Father, sometimes we don't know how you reward us or what it will be. And yet we do know that everything you do is actually good and eternal. Father, 
Help us to see your rewards now. And even when we get to live with you forever. Father, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.